Hello everyone, I hope you are well. I'm Carlos Carnicero Uravallen and I want to welcome you all to Future is Blue, a series of podcasts bringing together top experts from academia and think tanks to discuss the most pressing European economic and policy challenges of today. This is a Funkas Europe initiative and we hope we can bring new ideas for a more inspiring debate about Europe. Hello everyone! Today we're joined by Ian Beck, professor at the European Institute at LSE. Thank you for joining us, Ian. How are you today? Very pleased to be talking to you again, Carlos. Fantastic. And we are also joined by a usual suspect of this show, Raymond Torres, joining us from Madrid. How are you, Raymond? I am very happy to join as well. Excellent. I, I thought, Ian, we would start, we would start with the um, talking about the main factor that you think is driving the uh, the stress that we're seeing in the financial institutions in the last couple of weeks what do you think is the main factor that is triggering all these uh i wouldn't call it panic but i would call it uh, stress around policymakers and and financial institutions on both sides of the both sides of the atlantic the, the difficulties that we see in the banking sector cannot be reduced to a single main explanation because there are multiple things going on. One of the significant ones is that because interest rates have risen, bond prices fall. The bond price is the inverse of the interest rate. And those banks like Silicon Valley Bank, which had held a significant proportion of their assets in bonds, suddenly faced the prospect of their bonds being less valuable and that meant when depositors tried to withdraw money from them, they they were uh, up against the challenge that they couldn't uh, liquidate the, their assets, the bonds, sufficiently rapidly to enable the deposit, depositors to withdraw their money. Now, elsewhere, there is an element of the same story. But in the case of Credit Suisse, I think it's much more complicated. There is a, a new variation on derivatives, which is part of the explanation, as well as a sequence of bad management decisions by Credit Suisse, which seems to be behind it. So you have to look at idiosyncratic reasons as well as specific reasons, but then also connect it to the evolution of monetary policy over the last decade. One consequence of the move towards what was once called unconventional measures, also known as quantitative easing, was to push out more money into the system to create an expectation of permanent low interest rates and to alter the mentality of the bankers to their asset mix in a way which has now come back to bite them in some cases. For the global system, we should not, I think, at this stage be concerned that it's going to result in the kind of events we saw in 2007 and 2008 because the capital ratios of so many banks are so much stronger. So I'd, I'd regard it more as specific instances for particular banks. So, Raymond, do you, do you, do you share what Ian just said, that we are better prepared than, than a decade ago and, uh, and we shouldn't expect the kind of... Uh, crisis that followed when we saw some very big banks falling and collapsing uh, when before the the global financial crisis i think it's likely to this period of, of stress uh, is is different in nature compared to the one that led to the global financial crisis 
which was more, much more related at the time to a crisis of, of credit. In, in other words, there was too much credit given for things which were uh, not worth the, the price that was paid for. In other words, housing and so on. And we don't see this time a housing bubble of this kind. Uh, but the, this period of stress is much more related to the interest rate uh, risk, which Ian just, uh, just explained. It has affected disproportionately uh, certain banks in the United States. Uh, but uh, uh, it, 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 this, this mechanism it also operates throughout the financial system. In other words, uh, banks and also non-bank actors, such as investment funds or pension funds, are also uh, being affected by the depreciation of assets associated with the increase in interest rates. Uh, and so this is something which is, in other words, different in nature. I think it's fair to say that it's probably not as, uh, let's say, systemic or as uh, macroeconomically uh, dangerous as was the case uh, in the global financial crisis, but it's also fair to say that we don't yet know all the ramifications and all the impacts of higher interest rates on the valuation, on the value of assets of the financial system. And so I'm, I'm afraid we should be prepared for more accidents it could be uh, particular institutions which uh, are not well prepared for this. Uh, so it's not a generalized effect, but the fact that there may be other, even if it's small institutions, in the case of Credit Suisse, it's not a small one, but there, there may be some others. Uh, this may be enough to, uh, to contribute to this uncertain environment that we're seeing at the moment. So Ian, uh, where are we really well prepared now comparing to what happened uh, in the previous crisis. I mean, after the, the previous crisis, the global financial crisis, we, we took some reform, we did some reforms, but is that enough to, to, to face challenges like the ones we're seeing these days? In regulation, yes, the banks are more closely regulated. In prudential supervision, which means are they prudentially safe, the capital ratios are higher, and that creates a significant line of defense against uh, problems. It's also worth noting that the authorities have acted very quickly in the case of Silicon Valley Bank, which is not a systemic bank and yet which has been bailed out by the US system. And also the First Republic Bank in the US was rescued by a consortium of banks on Wall Street. The Swiss government has acted quickly to persuade, shall we say, UBS to take over the assets of the remaining assets of Credit Suisse, in spite of the concentration that's going to mean in the Swiss banking market. And the Swiss central bank has also pumped in money into the Credit Suisse to try to keep it afloat. So there are rapid actions by the central banks. They, they are on the case in a way that was not so visible in 2007, when there was an argument raging about whether banks should, even big banks should be allowed to go bust, because if you rescued them, it created something called moral hazard through which they would take more risks because they knew they would be rescued. This time around, there's a lot of preemptive action being taken place by the central banks and other other authorities to stop the crisis spreading. So I'm reasonably optimistic that it isn't going to go in the direction of Bear Stearns followed by Lehman Brothers that triggered the global financial crisis. Raymond, any comments about what the how the cent central banks are reacting? I mean, I, I've seen that they, they are likely going to continue with the 
uh, increasing interest rates. I don't know what what would be the impact of of that that trend if it continues with the ongoing crisis. Yes, I I think that the it's it's, um, it's going to be very challenging for for central banks because it is true that they are uh, let's say making available not only all the instruments which already exist in order to control this this kind of uh, period of financial stress, uh, but also they, they manifest themselves ready to uh, create new liquidity uh, uh, vehicles in order to help any financial institution which may be in a particularly difficult situation and that in order to contain uh, the, the, the spread of, of any such accidents. So that is positive, but I mean, it, it's uh, at the same time, the, 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 the level of stress uh, can only increase as they increase interest rates. So this notion that there is no trade-off between financial stability and the increase in interest rates in order to contain inflation, well, it's not so clear because the more interest rates increase, the, the, the greater the potential losses in, in financial institutions which hold uh, assets at fixed interest rates. And, and so there is here a tension which is going to, will have to be managed by central banks. I think the, the central banks are aware that there is here a trade-off between uh, the, the goal of com, you know, fighting inflation, the goal of financial stability, and that's going to be a challenge all, you know, all, all this period, of course. I think Ian would be interesting to to to, uh, to know your opinion about what Raymond said about this trade-off and whether whether it, how should central banks approach this dilemma of of whether continue raising interest rates to control inflation, but maybe that would pose a greater risk for the financial system. What is... There's certainly a, the risk of a trade-off between financial stability and monetary stability, but I sense that the the period of rapidly rising interest rates is coming close to an end. Although there's the paradox that even with interest rates at 4% as, or 4.25% as they've just become in the United Kingdom, inflation is more than double that. So the real interest rates are negative. So we're in this very odd position where the, the expectation is that inflation will start to fall quite rapidly, in which case the, the need for further interest rates will diminish. But there's this delicate period until that happens, which is the one that the central banks are going to have to navigate. Now, on on inflation rates, there was maybe a hope, say, three, four weeks ago, that interest rates would start, start to fall quite rapidly. Instead, what we're seeing both on both sides of the Atlantic is the, the inflation rate maybe persisting a bit longer because it seems to have moved from the impetus coming from energy prices to a knock-on effect to other sectors, particularly uh, some of the the non-core inflation in food, but also drifting into what is still part of core inflation and that service, service price inflation. So we're in for a delicate period, maybe lasting three to six months, in which the, the pressure from inflation to raise interest rates and the pressure from financial stability to keep interest rates stable will be fighting each other for some time this year. Raymond, any any reaction to what what the what Ian just said, or perhaps a comment on what do you what what's the impact of of this uh, situation that is likely going to do on the European economy as a whole? I think that the uh, the this uh, this period of financial stress uh, is kind of indicative of um, certainly 
slowdown in credit uh, in credit and in, in a way in a, a, a much tighter credit policy or credit conditions which will prevail over, over the next few months if not uh, a year and a half at least in other words uh, the both in terms of the financial institutions they're going to be much more careful in terms of uh, you know the providing new credit to enterprises or, or households uh, but also the demand for credit may 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 go down as well uh, because of higher interest rates the increase in interest rates which has taken place already so uh, for both reasons both supply and demand reasons it's likely that uh, credit will, will slow down significantly and therefore it, it will it will do the job that actually what central banks wanted to do which is to to cool demand in order to reduce inflationary pressures so the question is uh, whether it will be a soft landing in a way and whether inflation will simply uh, little by little go down and in a way uh, we, we, we will achieve uh, convergence towards the inflation targets uh, without a recession or whether uh, it will be more complicated than that and uh, I think the balance will be uh, in I mean it will, it will depend on many factors but I would I would highlight in particular uh, the extent to which uh, the period of financial stress can be contained as we s just said or, or whether the uh, new new kind of accidents uh, are significant enough uh, to you know in, in, in deteriorate the the financial picture uh, more and therefore this would be quite dangerous from the point of view of the economic cycle so overall i think the economic prospects uh, which were relatively good in the beginning of this year because of the reduction in energy prices and the contention of geopolitical uh, risks. Uh, well, uh, the uh, the outlook was relatively good because of that, but actually uh, this period of financial stress may actually uh, darken the outlook uh, more than, than we thought. Ian, a final, a final word, perhaps to react to what, what Raymond said about the, the good start of the year and now this having in front of us this crisis that may challenge our our previous uh, forecast for this year well if you'd asked me six months ago i i would have said to you we're in for a period of stagflation that's the, the combination of stagnation and inflation something that the european economies have not really seen since the late 1970s early 1980s the authorities are reacting they're reacting quite forcefully there is a role for all this in fiscal policy and making sure that economies don't float downwards too much. And I think there is a disposition in fiscal policy to react to the stagflation risk. But for the rest of this year, I'd have thought that the European economy would be flatlining. It would be, it may be 0.1% growth, it may be 0.1% decline. And we should look at some differences between countries. But it certainly isn't going to be a return to dynamic growth, which we'll have to postponed to at least uh, 2024 and hope that the, the action that's already been taken plus this threat of financial instability curbs inflation faster than everybody expected. All right, Ian, thank you. Uh, I think we're going to leave it here. Um, I want to thank you both. This was an, an excellent discussion. Thank you all for joining. This was all for now. We will come back soon with more exciting speakers on Europe's economic and policy-related key debates. Future is Blue is a Funcas Europe initiative. I'm Carlos Carnicero Ravallen, and if you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to recommend it to others and share it on social media. Thank you all and stay well. <laughs>